Hi guys, I'm André Villas Boas, listening to Echoes of Glory. And don't forget, whatever happens, the future is bright, future is lily white. Come on, you Spurs. Hello and welcome to Echoes of Glory, Season 11, Episode 11. I'm Jack. I'm Chris, sorry. Hi everyone. (laughs) If you couldn't tell, Chris is a little bit distracted uh, (laughs) going to this recording. Um, We've got... (laughs) Yes, she's she's on her third bottle of wine, believe it or not already. Um, I'm a big girl, it takes that much. And we're at, we're actually recording this in the morning. It's only eight thirty in the morning as well. <laughs> um, we've got loads to talk about this week. Um, we've got a new manager. We've got a few games to review. It's going to be an action-packed podcast. So I guess the be- best and the first place for us to start is we've appointed one of the world's best managers at a time where Spurs are in absolute turmoil. Um, I said on the pod last week. If you're a Spurs fan and you think we're going to get Antonio Conte, you need to take a look at yourself because you're having a laugh if we can get a manager like that. Um, so that proves about how much I know. Uh, Chris, I'll come to you first. What do you make of the appointment? Like, are you pleased that we've managed to get Conte? Look, you can't not be pleased that we've managed to get him. The cynic, I mean, I've this isn't my first time in this on this rodeo, though. And so the cynic in me just thinks... We haven't got the best of records with ex-Chelsea managers. I think about Conte um, having falling out with Roman and Marina Abramovich because they wouldn't support him in terms of the players he wants to buy. So I can only imagine he's had assurances from, from Daniel Levy. Um, and listen, I think... We've made a, we have made a brilliant appointment, and there was a great piece by Oliver Kay in the Athletic, and there was one paragraph that really that really struck struck it for me because we talked about this last week. I think that you know net you know in terms of net benefit, the benefit from Enoch and from Daniel Levy's stewardship has been positive, right? And this is the end of this piece from Oliver Kay, which is a very balanced piece. I'd recommend reading it. There are not many clubs in world football with the profile and the wealth to attract a coach as Antonio Conte. And among the handful who could, there are even fewer with the nerve or the ambition to do so. That Tottenham now belong to that conversation is testament to the progress made in two decades in which they could have very easily have been left behind. And that's what sums it up for me. And I think given that we didn't land him in the summer, right? I think the other thing is, is that whatever we say about our board being stubborn or not learning. There's learning here. They've obviously learned something. Whatever it was that they couldn't, they didn't do in the summer to land him. I don't care what he said, that it wasn't the right time. He was still feeling hurt after leaving, you know, into or whatever. The fact is they learned something. They saw what happened, what happened with Nuno and they thought we cannot be in this stadium and not be at the top of the European football tree. You know, playing NS Moura on a Thursday night 
you know, as particularly as it's getting colder, even if they are sitting in their heated seats, it's not fun, right? You want to be playing Real Madrid on a Wednesday night. So I guess at that moment you go, right, well, we're going to have to speculate to accumulate. And they've obviously given him the assurances. And what I'm hoping is that we have, you know, there's a proper plan over at least an 18-month period. Because even though we've seen... You can see what the plan is in the in the two games we've seen kind of Conte ball. Um, they, it's going to take some work to get them there. Yeah, yeah for sure. ASD, how about you? What were your initial uh, thoughts on it? I cannot believe we have landed <laughs> the best manager in the world. Outside Guardiola, I can't think of anyone I'd rather here. I think it is absolutely great. Even if you don't think that, he's surely top five, let's say, in terms of the record of what he goes in and does, goes in, wins. I think it, what we've got is the spirit of what um, Levy thought he was getting when we got Mourinho. But Mourinho was a decade was a decade ago, what we've got now. And it's not just Conte, it's his partnership with Paratici that is going to drive us here. And that's why Paratici was such a smart move. Maybe that that's the butterfly effect point there is how did we get him into, into our club? Because he then has gone out and got one of the best centre-backs in the world who did make a stupid mistake off Thursday, yeah. but one of the best centre-backs in the world and was able to get a keeper who looks decent. And then suddenly we've got the best manager in the world. If you, if you go back and you go, imagine you're starting a new game of football manager and you go, you're a, you know, mid-table at best team with the new stadiums you've got no money in the third tier of Europe What what's the best players and managers you're going to attract you're not going to attract any we've got the best manager in the world and what I love is just what he's saying like it's all about the passion the commitment the suffering all of that stuff but the pre-Everton presser he, he he repeated something they've been saying he said look we've, we've had a vision off the pitch for a long time Levy the pitch the AJ fight, all of that, the, the 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 training, all of that stuff's great. But now we need to focus on the pitch. It takes time and a vision. And, and that's it. it. It's all about the time and the patience and the focus. And so I know we've got to talk about the games, but I don't think they matter until February. Like, I really don't think they really matter until February because he's got to take time to get in. I don't think this is a short-term tactical thing. We'll, we'll see that. But this is just... This is how we build the long term for the club. And I want to flip it and go, He, I absolutely 100% believe he is the perfect appointment for Spurs. If he doesn't work, there's something far deeper wrong in the club. Far, far, far deeper wrong. Because I predict by next summer, not this one coming, next summer, we'll have a completely different squad, completely different performance level. And I think it'll be really exciting. I think we'll be peaking next summer. And so it's going to be slow. We're going to need patience. I read the Guardian article today that Spurs fans are the most patient of all fans, and we probably are. We're going to need a little bit more of that. I think he's got a perfect test bed with the Europa Conference League. Like, I think he's seen how much work he's got to do, but also there's some great players there. And I, I, I absolutely, I've gone from a place where I, the only thing I enjoyed about Tottenham was coming to speak to you two. Like, really, the only thing I enjoyed. Now, I've been to two games in a week. And I, I want to go again. I can't afford it, but I want to go again. And I want to watch Tottenham. And I want to see us grow and evolve. And I want to see what he does with Giovanni Lo Celso and Ben Davis and then Don Belle. I want to see what he does with Harry Winks and Delhi. Like I, I, I want to see what he does with Kane because suddenly it feels like 
not only is that he will he be doing the obvious stuff that we see, but he'll do stuff that we we don't even see. That I'm 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 honestly I'm buzzing. I I can't believe it. It's the best. It's the best thing that could happen to the men's team. What is um what's success for Conte? So he signed an 18 month deal. What is like if I think immediately for this season, what is Antonio Conte in a successful season for Spurs? What does that look like at the moment? Top four. Top four. It might be a trophy, you know. I the FA Cup is coming home. It's coming home to White Hart Lane. We'll probably win uh, the, we may well win the League Cup, but I think success for, I think he hasn't been appointed to win a League Cup for us. I think we've got to be in the champion. We can't have another year of not being in the Champions League. And, and when you have a look at the league table as well at the minute, so Chelsea, City, West Ham and Liverpool in the top four. Liverpool are in fourth on 22 points. We're down in ninth on 16. It's only six points. And you've got... How, mate, can you read out games played and games won for those teams? That's what's interesting because people are beating people. That's the interesting well, thing. Well, every, everybody's lost at least one game. Like I mean, everyone's played 11. Chelsea have lost one. City have lost two. West Ham have only lost two. Liverpool have lost one. United have lost four. Arsenal right, right. there, they've lost three. So it's like, it really is. Uh, it feels a bit like the Leicester season. You know when, like, yeah. there are good teams, but nobody's actually that good. And you look <laughs> at the Premier League and you think City, Liverpool and Chelsea should absolutely run away with it. And it's like, the team that are top, Chelsea, you know, they've dropped seven points in 11 games. It's like... You know, for a, for a team right at the top, that's actually quite a lot. So six points off of top four. I still think we do need to take into account that Pochettino's had this group, Mourinho's had this group, Nuno's had this group, and they've all struggled to get a tune out of them. And to, for, I think for us to just sort of expect that without major investment, Conte can transform this group into a team that's going to be in the top four, I think is unrealistic. But what I would say is he's definitely a coach that can get more out of the group collectively. He can definitely do that. And you'd think, you look at where we are at the minute in ninth, and let's face it, we've been shocking all season. You'd think that he can easily, you know, make those players perform a lot better and pick up more points per game. Um, but I still think that top four with that squad is going to be very, very difficult for us. But like Chris said at the start, you would assume that he's been guaranteed at least one big signing in January. Because I know I get your point, SD, about patience and all of that, but he has only signed an 18-month contract. And it could be with a view to another year or two years or three years after. But Conte doesn't strike me as a man that is willing to sort of slowly build it either. I think he's someone that comes in and he's like, I want success. I want to... In his head, he must be thinking that at least next season he can challenge for a league title. Like I just can't see that he would have taken the Spurs job if he hadn't have been given some assurances that like that's where we can get to. I'm not saying we will, but a, a manager that is so elite and would be linked with any job in the world at the top of all the leagues, I just can't see that he would have accepted a, a, a role at a team mid-table at the minute, not willing to fight for the title. So I'm excited again for, for Conte. He is a, he is a winner. Um, I liked what you said really about he is ASD about that he is Mourinho, but basically a more modern version in terms of that winning mentality. Um, my only worry is that he is extremely ruthless, um, maybe even more ruthless than what Jose was. And you think about how do these players react to it. Let's see how that goes. Um, but it's an exciting time. It, but I think if they're being coached, it's going to be different because you can see that they since. 
you know, and I don't know what happened towards the end of Poch, but you know, maybe you know they, maybe it was all it was all getting a bit um a bit stayed, and you know there was you saw some stuff of players saying we've literally been doing the same drills every day for five years and all the rest of it. So let's think about that for a second. But then under Mourinho and it seems under Nuno, they didn't look like they were being coached. They lost all their fitness. Now the thing is, is that if you've got somebody that you can believe in, and you know. Regardless of Mourinho being someone that they seemed like that they could believe in, you could still sort of see he was a spent force and they weren't doing enough work. So, you know, you've now got Conte there. You know that he's not going to suffer any fools gladly. And there's also not going to be any kind of prima donna behaviour. And if you're not up to it, he'll figure. And, and they'll, they'll also be having the conversations we're having. They must have promised him he can buy new players. So what does that feel like to you as a as a player? You'll be worried about your position, wouldn't you? So they're going to start grafting in a different way now as well, I imagine. So I think it's going to be interesting because, as I say, you can sort of see what, you know, he's only been in position since Thursday. Yeah. You know, crazy, taken, what, two training sessions or something. Um, so, you know, I think there's going to be something that you can already see what he's trying to do in ter- just in terms of how he's set them up, in terms of like two touches. Um, and you know, etc. I think that there are some things that have already worried me, which is when um, he's replaced the centre halves. You know, the fact that Matt Doherty came on yesterday and not Jaffet was upsetting. Because mm. um, actually, Matt Doherty cannot play football. It was like there was one point at the end there where like he got the ball, he didn't know what to do with it, and he sort of swiped at it with his left foot, and it went off in the wrong direction. So that was a concern. And that um, the go-to from a creativity point of view has been Lacelso, who actually I still I understand him even less now than I did last week. He is yes. such a weird player, like he really is. I don't. I st- still, I hate players where I don't know what position they play in, and it's like Lacelso is a five-a-side player. That is what he is, and I bet in training he's unbelievable. But it's like. It's simple. He can't take a corner at the moment. That <laughs> was ninety third. That that was ninety third minute. He, he was rushing. He had all the fans. Have you seen that shot of that corner behind from behind him? They're all shouting at him. He's desperate to try and do something, and he cocks up. Yeah, professional footballer should, just should never kick it like that. But he, he's. I, I was going to ask you which of the players you think will be like who who will be the Victor Moses who will go from suddenly being like okay to suddenly being reinvented in superstars. And the Conte. Because so I think GLC might be one, you know? I'm I'm just not sure about Lacelso at all. I think that from what I've seen the first two games, and it's only been two games, Emerson Royal at, at right back or right wing back, he, he's looked great. And he runs something like 14, 15 kilometres in the Vitesse game. And you're just like, oh, that is a proper shift. I want to talk about Vitesse in a minute because that was one of the best games of football I've seen for ages. Um, but I look at both the wing backs and I've been very, very suspect about Regulon, if I'm honest, since we signed him. I've, I've not been sold with him at all. But I think this system, in theory, does sort of get the best out of him because he's extremely athletic. He's quick. He can make runs in behind. He can make recovery runs. I don't think his positioning's all that good. But he reminds me in certain aspects of what Danny Rose was like when he was at his peak, where it's like, again, his positioning wasn't fantastic. He was so fit and so sharp and played two touch football and played to his strengths. And I look at, at Reggie and think potentially a wing back system could be really good for him. So they're the two areas for me. I look at right wing back and left wing back and I think they could be two really, really big players for us. 
I think Mora will really benefit from this as well because he's always been useful. Like he does, he he made a lot of mistakes under well all the managers, but I think he'll do really well. I think GLC just getting it because he's never had a run of games. His fitness, stick him in midfield, and the new uh, formations we've never seen. He might suit them. Like there's rumours we might go to three, four, one, two. He might be that one. Might be in Dombele. Hopefully in Dombele and Kane. Like Kane, it sounds crazy to say it, but like we are the the biggest place we're struggling is the number ten position, right? Because Kane has tried to play that position, so he's doing nine and ten and doing not none of them well. So if Kane's been forced to stay in the box, he might just score loads of goals. <laughs> might just score play said goals. that, hasn't he? he? I remember him in saying that, before, that it, if he was if he managed Kane, he would not make like Kane would not leave the box because he's so clinical there. And he was like, that's where I'd have him. So I do think that we will see Kane being an out and out number nine again now. I think he'll play that I'm almost certain that at the end of the season you'll be seeing comparison statistics with him versus Lukaku versus Diego Costa or under Conte. And it will be like assists, weight, um, goals number of times he's sort of like played with his back to there'll be so many stats about that type of stuff but I think Kane will now sort of be a tough aggressive number nine you remember the first game he had under Jose when we went away to West Ham and we won 3-2 and we battered them really and we're freeing yeah, up after about 50 minutes Kane yeah. was brilliant I think it'll become more of that type of centre forward now whereas I think the last year 18 months he's been more of like a been more of a clever centre forward, isn't he? Like Teddy Sheringham dropping into the pockets and linking play. I think he's just going to go back to lead the line. You're a centre forward. Get me 25 league goals, and it's like and let other people worry about other stuff. And that that I think is what we need to get from him because he hasn't been playing up front, has he, for this season? He's been playing in midfield, and it's just like it hasn't been working. They both need shooting practice, though him and Sonny. Because, again, that Son had a great chance yesterday that was way off in a way that you have not seen him do that you know when he runs at um when he runs at um you know when he runs at the defenders and then has a shot on goal for it to be that wayward um i don't know another thing that was quoted in this oliver k article was what is conte um it was a video that's resurfaced um that in 2017 that conte said if tottenham don't win the title it's not seen as a tragedy if they don't arrive in the Champions League, it's not a tragedy. If they go out in the first round of the Champions League, it's not a tragedy. Maybe for Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City, Manchester United, and I don't know, Liverpool, it is a tragedy. You must understand the status of the team. Every team has to understand what their ambitions are. If their ambitions are to fight for the title or win the Champions League, you must buy expensive players. Otherwise, you continue to stay in your level. It's t- it's simple. My question is this. What are Tottenham's expectations? Mm. So there must have been something about those set about those expectations or yeah. he wouldn't have come. Yeah, well, that's that's it. it. What it signifies is the most ambition that Spurs have ever shown in the, in the leadership ever. And so it's just going to be a hell of a rise for the next two, uh, two years. Can we talk about the test? Oh, what a game. Can, we, can, we, can I talk, the, go into the game? Because I made some notes. So I got off at Seven Sisters at six, into the middle of the test fans who were absolutely smashed. They'd all come over, um, probably saved up, used their life savings from their pig farms, come over to Spurs, 
that's not racist because the Dutch like bacon and um, all of them pissing against the wall right next to it. It was disgusting. Like there was just a stream of piss coming down. Police everywhere. Like it was quite, it was quite a charged atmosphere. It didn't feel dangerous, but it reminded me of those nights, you know, when like West Ham have come, Inter came once and they all, they had flares and flags and that was mad. And there was a scouser selling Antonio special one scarves, but they were all blue. So I think you just had loads of old Chelsea ones. Um, and then there was a prick who ran all the way through going, Chelsea, 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 like trying to prove a point. But like the police were everywhere, so nothing would, nothing happened there. Um, there were ton, there was a ton of them, um, but it was great to get back in that bloody stadium. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of it in itself. And I spent ages, because I, I, I knew I was going to the women's game on the Sunday, trying to find a shop that wasn't the megastore to buy my daughter a scarf. And you know, when you went to Wembley, there was a shop like every five metres. Yeah. We walked halfway around the stadium, couldn't find the shop inside, which really confused me. But um, yeah, magnificent. And how magnificent was the noise? Like, because they, they sold out the bottom tier, they had to open up more of the cop end, whatever it's called. And it was full. It was rammed. I couldn't see a seat. And it was so noisy for the for the reception. And Toby being there, how good was it to see Toby? Yeah. You could see he was never going to be. He's not a personality, is he? But, I mean, it was great to see his moments on TV. Like, I was, you know, I was there for them. It was great to see him. It was just a great occasion. Like, it was just, it felt like, it, before I was like, we can't lose this. There's too much emotion. There's too much positivity. And then it started. <laughs> and then, what a mental game. It was oh my one God. of the craziest games, wasn't it, that I've seen for a long, long time. It was just, it, it was like a Saturday league game. It really was. It yeah. was just carnage from the first whistle all the way through to the last minute. It was like, it was such an enjoyable game of football. Like, that will easily be the best Europa Conference League game for many a years. Like, yeah, I can't see there being a more entertaining game than that. Um, the first sort of 25 minutes we were on fire weren't we we just looked like every time we went forward we looked like we were going to score and I was like oh here we go this is fun to watch and it was <coughs> it was just high intensity football wasn't it there it was just pass move press you see how high the wing backs were like the wing backs were literally on the same line as the, as the strikers we had so many bodies in attack it was it was great. But don't get me wrong, Vitesse are a poor, poor team. Well, they did surprise me with some of their patterns of play because I actually thought that they they had a number 10, or I think was playing holding midfield, which I didn't like because it's like you can't be a number 10 and be in a defensive position. Um, but he was actually quite a good player and he played quite a few decent passes through. Uh, so every now and then I feel like you play against these teams that aren't great, but you come up against one player and you think, oh, actually, he can play a little bit. So I thought he was quite good. Um, I think it was the Lucas Moura goal was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant play. They must have been about 15, 20 passes, all two touch. Great bit of play from Kane to sort of slip him through. And then he just, he was so calm going through Lucas Moura, wasn't he? And he's probably one of the few players in the Spurs team that when he goes through, I'm thinking, I don't know what's going to happen here. Like, he's just, he doesn't give me much confidence when he's got time to think about it. But it was a lovely little nutmeg through the keeper, wasn't it? And at 3-0, I was sat there and thinking, this could be 7 or 8-0 easily this game this is just one-way traffic <laughs> it's three two at half time and you think right Antonio welcome to Spurs because this is exactly what it's going to be I mean we really did let him back in the game didn't we but um bonkers match three red cards as well um 
the craziest bit, their goalkeeper was just, I mean, he must have had a better half time that he was going to get sent off or something. That's the only thing I could have thought of because it was crazy goalkeeping. Absolutely crazy. Um, but I, it was just, it's nice to go to a game, buzzing atmosphere, everyone positive, see loads of goals and sort of see carnage. Great fun. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're so right, Jack. It was like the perfect microcosm to show and what to show the new manager what he was in for like a magic half an hour and then like appalling defending to kind of like literally just ball watching basically you know a free header and then just like a, a really easy ball through the defenders and then just like madness and then just utter madness um what was funny for me though was that I don't know if you saw it on um on the Spurs actually on the Spurs social media is um I'm part of um, a campaign called Fans for Diversity, which is a, a joint campaign between Kick It Out and the FSA. And um, like once a year, we mostly meet on Zoom, but once a year we try and meet in person in a football ground. So talk a little bit about the work that's being done in that football club. And then, you know, you have the meeting there and all the rest of it. And so I'd said ages ago, I'd said, look, let's just ask Spurs if they'll host us on a Europa League night. There'll be loads of room because no one really wants to go to those games. And, you know, we'll see. And so they agreed. There's 15 of us that went. We went in there. We had a little look around. Not much because it was game day. So, like, the, the tunnel and stuff had all been, like, COVID fogged and all the rest of it. But we went out underneath where the where the rainbow flag is and stuff. So I took a really nice picture from underneath it. Took a couple of pictures. Um, had a little look at um, Beaver Town. Went and looked at the centre spot, whatever. Then went and had our meeting. So there was I with, you know, people from all over the country. Someone had come from Newcastle. Someone had come from Carlisle. Someone had come from Birmingham. Someone else had come from, um, you know, literally all over. And then also from like Watford and Fulham as well, right? Um, and, you know... It was lovely. The hospitality was really nice and all the rest of it. And then they're like coming out into the stadium and they're like, wow, this is amazing. And the noise was amazing. And, and, and. And then they get that game and they were like, wow, I don't know whoever who's going to match this, because, of course, it was a beautiful environment. And then the most bonkers game on a day where you appoint one of the best managers in, in European football. And I was like, yeah, no one else. I don't know where we're going to go next, but um, you're not going to match this wherever you are. So that was quite fun to be doing that. Value for money. Right. I mean, the goalkeeper was at that end when all the fights were happening. I'm not sure if you saw it on TV, but that was madness. I've never seen that before. Like the trouble in the way end. I'm not sure if you saw it. And obviously we don't want to talk about it, but the Vitesse fans were up for it, singing the whole time. And suddenly... They were having a go at Spurs fans and trying to get at Spurs fans like next to them in the stadium. But then it went a bit mental where they tried to get up into the posher seats that Spurs have that are just above them. And it, I, I was reading that apparently there were some of the test fans in the VIP section and then one Spurs fan invited some of them in and they all piled in. But it went on for about 15, 20 minutes and the stewards were there and then the police had to get involved. Like it was it was pretty mental. Um so that was intense. And the goalkeeper's there the whole time, so maybe it's just feeding off that energy. But, yeah, I loved it. Um, I, the defending for that second goal, like, I saw the goal go in, as in the one we conceded, five seconds before having, because you could see exactly what was going to happen. It was it was embarrassing, that goal. I thought Ben Davis played really well. 
like out of what and I know oh I, I bet really, he did. here we go here, here we go, go. <laughs> I thought he was the best out of the three centre but I just thought he was you know seven out of ten like we always say and I, I thought he was pretty good and Romero he loves a wonder he, it's it's like the player's broken on FIFA he just go he just goes off you know and you have to look on your little map to find out where that player's gone because you just don't know um, and then he makes a stupid foul but you know part of what makes him great so we'll take yeah. it and it was just you know what it was just nice to have a um a bit of a i know it's only europa conference game but there was a feel-good feeling again wasn't there around the club which it feels like where we have pro- we probably had it in the city game the opening game of the season with nuno where we won one nil everyone was like oh here we go but that sort of quickly disappeared didn't it so that was fantastic um and then we had everton yesterday and going into that game you know i was Everton, Everton are a pretty poor side as well. They've got quite a few injuries. I went into that game with quite a lot of optimism, thinking new manager, do you know what I mean? Three at the back, all of that. We've just won in the week. Like, There's no reason why we're not going to go up there and take all three points. Um, it seemed like a bit of a stalemate nil-nil, really. Um, a game of few chances, lack of quality, really, in the final third. I did get the feeling, though, that we had a bit more of a fight about us. Um, I haven't seen what the running stats are, but I would be keen to sort of know how much further did we... We definitely ran further. Um, how much further did we run in that game sort of compared to the others? Um, I think Antonio will be happy with a clean sheet. And I do think if you go away from home in the Premier League and keep a clean sheet, the, from a defensive point of view, you've got to be pleased with that. Um, considering how shaky we have been for ages, I know it was an Everton team that didn't have their sort of main attacking players but still to go there and keep a clean sheet is obviously a step in the right direction just frustrating that we weren't able to get that goal and it's like that's where you look at Lucas Moura, Kane, Son, Lacelso off the bench and you think that's where we need you you guys like that's your job you know defence have done brilliant to keep it at nil-nil go and create something and win the game for us and we weren't quite able to do it which was disappointing um but it's a step in the right direction from a defensive point of view. But, I mean, they're the type of games that we have to be winning. Like, no disrespect to Everton, we have to be going there and winning. Like, a draw is just not good enough for where we want to be. I was in the upper tier at Goodison. And when Lucas's shot hit the post, you could hear it. He hit it that hard, you heard the donk. And when that didn't go in, I just thought, oh, that's it. We haven't we haven't managed this. But you, but like you say, Jack, there were some positives to take. We did have a bit more fight in us. We looked like we had a plan. Even if they're not well drilled enough in it yet. You know, we look at least that we've got some direction. I'm... It was... It's, I guess... I don't know. I think... You want to see us be more positive, which I think we had a bit more of that. As I said earlier, I'm worried about our forwards, though, because they have they literally look like they've forgotten where the goal is. So, you know, I, I'm, but I'm sure that, you know, the, the manager like Conte, he's, you know, he will be focused on that and he'll know what to do with them. Um, the one thing I just one one thing I will say is. The it's not lost on me the irony of our fa- fans of ours wearing Italian flags supposedly in support and then singing songs that say he eats spaghetti and drinks moretti that's the song (laughs) (laughs) i read it on twitter i could not laugh for about 10 minutes at it i know mainly because when i read it on twitter there was the pasta and the beer emojis that people were using as well and it just it oh 
football fans are a different breed, aren't they? <laughs> really are. So to be fair, like I, you know, that was the. It's a different experience being in an away end, and that was probably the le- the least bad song. There were some other ones that people seem to be very. I don't want to repeat them. Seem to be very proud of on Twitter, and I was just like, honestly, some of the things that they were saying. It's like if if anyone actually kind of suggested that you might do this in real life you wouldn't know what to do but anyway that's a whole other thing yeah. um ASD you wanted to talk to us about the Spurs women's game which you were at and you took ZSD to so I'd love ZSD. to sort of hear match day experience how she found it how was it as a day out so took my four-year-old to her first ever game yes yeah it was great and then um I also brought one of the dads and one of Zoe's friends. So I got them to come along as well. So we had, like, he's a good mate of mine. He's not into football, but he, he was up for an occasion and needed something to do with the kids. So picked them up, drove down to Barnet. Uh, well, Barnet's ground, which is in Edgeware, the Hive. Got got there early, like you said, Chris, and got one of the last seats even like over an hour before kickoff. And it's a great, it is a tiny ground, like, isn't it, right? It's, yeah. It's, it, it's, it, there's two, side of the ball ground that uh, ends and then there's two um the other two stands are tiny and i was a bit like why have they built them this small i like, really it's, it's crazy like there's one with one the whole other length of the pitch is about four rows deep it's great i mean we had some chips and sat down i loved it because you you go in and it reminded me of white Hart lane because you go in you've got the bar and then you walk into the ground like there, there's nothing in between it is but you as soon as you walk in you see the pitch and then you can go to the Bari restaurant bit. And that's why I used to love that old White Hart Lane, because it was it was all about the football, but you could also, there was a space to congregate. And they had the legends on the wall. And Edgar Davids is there, which is great. I really enjoy seeing Edgar Davids there. Um, they gave us a free flag before, which the kids absolutely loved. I loved, I've still got mine over there. <laughs> and then um, there was a beatboxer before, which Zoe absolutely loved. And a freestyler, and Zoe couldn't believe her eyes. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they had loads of stuff going on, and Zoe loved it. And um, so it was, it was about 50 50 Spurs fans, Man United fans as well. It was madness. Like the Man United fans took over the middle of the middle stand, all stood up and sang the entire time, the entire time. And it was crazy how many, but it was great to see. Because I've been to a couple of women's games. I've been to a Women's Champions League final. I've been to an under-21s international at St. James's Park in Exeter. And there it has been uh, females at the age who were playing and then families with young daughters. But this time it wasn't. It was everybody. There was old men. That we sat next to a man with his son. We, it was just everyone was there. And that was brilliant. That was really, really brilliant. And it was just, a, it was a great game. Like, it was a great game. And the result was obviously brilliant. Man United went 1-0 up with a great goal um, in the first half. And then we scored, we practically the last kick of the game uh, with a free kick that found its way in. And a deserved draw, I thought. Man United were good, but Spurs held their own at least. And amazingly, it was on BBC, wasn't it? And um, I, they had Jessica Naz on the front of the uh, programme. And I thought she she played. She had a mad game. The first game, she was really industrious. The first half, really industrious. Second half, her, her brain just went. She just seemed to make some really dodgy decisions. But my favourite player was Rachel Williams, number 10. I thought she was absolutely fantastic the entire game. She's an old battler, Rachel Williams. She's like well oh. in her 30s. She's played for many, many years. 
um she's you know been at the top of the game and yeah she's like a proper she's like a proper old-fashioned centre forward yeah she was absolutely brilliant like moved the ball around and obviously um what's her face oh, what's her name Josie Green was there but I don't think she started why is Oh, I'm embarrassing myself. Ashley Neville was there. Great, reliable. Love Ashley yeah. Neville. Um, yeah. So it was, I'm really, I'm going to go again. Price was amazing. Uh, I think it was £10 for me and Zoe, 3 50 for her, 6 50 for me. I'll go again. It was great. Easy to get to. I, I, I don't know why. Would, everything I missed about football was there. Was there, exactly. And that's a wonderful thing about it. And I would urge everybody to get down there on Saturday if they can, because it's Women's Football Weekend. So it's actually because there's it's a big push around because um, it's international weekend. So there aren't any Premier League games on. We've actually playing Arsenal at the Arsenal Hive. At 1.30. Yeah, at 1.30. It's the first time we've played Arsenal at the Hive. It will be it will be good fun. We've never managed to beat them. Um, but we are having a different season this season. Um, it's interesting what you say about the Manchester United fans, though, ASD, because actually they're slight outliers in women's supporters groups because there's lots of singing and fun amongst women's support women's supporters groups one of the things but one of the things that I always say is it's always positive and for the team whereas the Manchester United fans are a bit like because they are men's fans who got annoyed with the Glazers and all the rest yes. of it and have yes. moved over so it's yes. got a bit of a they they slightly irritate everybody else because it's got a similar vibe to the men's game and actually absolutely yeah, you so you got you got that, did you? Yeah, yeah. It was they were slightly aggressive. It was you could tell it it they weren't necessarily there for the football as much as being there in that group, and that's fine. But it it didn't go with the rest of the vibe. Uh, that yeah. It, yeah, they weren't reading the room at all, and um, it could have been a lot better. Yeah, but I mean, they do that classic thing of like no one like we're Manchester United, no one likes us, we don't care, and it's just like oh god, I'm just bored of that, so. Just try not to give them too much attention. Yeah. How did Zoe find it, ASD? Did she enjoy it? Yeah, she really enjoyed it. She, like, obviously she's four. She she got bored by 75, 80 minutes. And just because then we just fed her snacks the entire time. But yeah. she loved <laughs> she loved the experience. She loves it because I love it because she, she's really sweet like that. And she wants to go again. Um, she wants to play football. Um, yes, brilliant. Really and the girl who we went with... Uh, her friend then went home and started playing football with her toys in her room as well. So it's it's been great. It's been a really great. As it, was, it's a, exactly hmm? as it should be. That's wonderful. That's it. And like I, I compare it to taking her to White Hot Lane, but if I if I was to take her to White Hot Lane or even Wembley, it just I'd always feel worried that something she'd definitely hear something, that she'd see yeah. something and that it it would be just a bit of a nightmare to get her there, get her home, all of that stuff. But I put um a picture on Reddit on the Colony Spurs subreddit and 95% really positive and there was some 5% or a couple of people but I'm not sure we're trolling but just really archaic views on the women's game and it was mm. I mean they got downvoted to oblivion and people piled on them but it was really like wow these views still exist but pitches should be 10% smaller because women can't run as far kick the ball as far and you're like whoa like what what have you been watching it, it's just it, it really confused me and it's interesting to see those points of view because you you know it's it's a bit like when you you uh you're you're on Twitter it's mostly your little echo chamber and you think oh well you know maybe people don't need to take the knee anymore people have heard the notice and then you know 
England go and play in a semi-final or a final and you see how the Piazza happens on Twitter and you go, wow, there's some people with some really archaic views which may not be in our circles, but they're just, there's a lot of need, there's a lot of prejudice, there's a lot of people who have opinions based on absolutely nothing and it, it's a reaction to the feeling of threat that it's just unnecessary and it's idiotic and it was just a bit of a disappointment, but it's good to see at least they're out in the open and that other people can respond to it. So it's starting to go in the right way and long may it continue. The Welsh women played uh, in front of their biggest ever crowds two weeks ago and it's only going in the right direction. So more of it. I loved it. I'll be going again. Come on, you Spurs. Brilliant. Come on, you Spurs. Brilliant. Um, I've got some player, name the player quizzes for you. If you Uh-oh, want to not this again. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to give you some Spurs players career paths. Your job is to tell me who that player is. So um, I've got a little bit harder than last week, but I'm trying not to go too obscure. Um, it wasn't that easy last week, Jack, to be yeah. fair. It'll backtrack and straight away. I thought you found it too easy, Chris, last week, to be honest. <laughs> I'd say the first club and I'd just see you smile. I'd be like, yeah, I've got it. <laughs> ASD sat there like frantically Googling. Um, right, the, uh, the first player that I have got started his professional career in 1997 with Toronto Lynx, where he scored seven goals in 16 games. He then moved to Werder Bremen and was there between 1998 and 2005, scoring six goals in 151 games. He then moved to Tottenham Hotspur between the years 2005 and 2008, scoring three goals in 42 games. He had a year on loan at Fulham in 2008, failing to score in 13 games. And then from 2009 to 2011, he moved to Borussia Mönchengladbach, where he failed to score in 19 matches. He also has seven goals in 84 games for his national side. Who is Someone the ASD, Who would start in Toronto? Yeah, yeah. Well, I can see the idea of him in my head, but I can't. I'm awful with names. Big eyebrows. Slightly he, condensed forehead. He got a late, late, late winner at West Ham West once. Ham. And it's a thing that I see. I, I know who you're talking about. I, I just, I just names. I, oh, right. My brain works. I start with ideas. It's like my, my one of my mastermind topics. Weirdly, is Sex and the City because if you, I've, just, I've just got this amazing knowledge of sex. It's because right, my <laughs> wife, when she did a year abroad in France, she had when we were in uni, she had the box set of Sex and the City. And she lent it to a German and the German left because Emma lived in a ex-brothel, which was a hotel and with and was working there to learn French better and was the way with the German. She lent the box set to the German. The German um, moved away but with one of the discs in a laptop. Right. So I bought the being a romantic person. I bought the shoebox DVD box set of Sex and City and gave her that single disc so she could complete hers. So my knowledge of Sex and City is amazing because I was here in Exeter. I watched all that just so I had something to talk to her about and learn about how women work. So I know Sex and City really well, but I don't know the names of characters. And it's the same. I'm just awful with names. Like he really, knows really so much. One CD. Yeah, apart from that one, <laughs> one CD. He knows so much about Sex and the City, but doesn't know that it was Paul Stalteri. Paul Stalteri. Paul oh, Stalteri, yeah. See, I, I could see Canadian. I could, I could see him because he's a little bit shorter. I could see the goal. I just can't. I can't do names unless it's AVB era. Very right. good time, by the way. Next player. Mm. Grumpy. Mm. 
the uh, the next player started his professional career in 1997 and between 97 and 99 played for Martigues where he scored two goals in 25 games. From 1999 to 2004 he moved to Nice scoring six goals in 122 games. In 2004 he moved to Tottenham Hotspur 2004 to 2006 scoring one goal in 25 games. He then moved to Portsmouth from 2006-2009, scoring three goals in 65 games. He then moved to Hercules 2009-2011, failing to score in 36 games. He then moved to Granada 2011-2012, failing to score in two games. And then in 2013-2014, he moved back to Hercules, scoring four goals in 50 games. Who is the player? Go on, Chris. No, no, Pamaro. <laughs> no, Pamaro. Great knowledge. I should have gone harder. I'm telling you. No, but Absolute I think Tottenham breeze. to Portsmouth, and who's French, that's not Kabul. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And if you've only played 25 games, it's not going to be Kabul, isn't it? Is it? Fair. ASD, I think you might have a shot at the next one. You can go this first, player, This player started his career in 1997. Between they're all your era. They're all your era. We need to start after 2008, please. It's in 1997 to 2000, he played for Peterborough United, scoring six goals in 51 games. He then moved to Tottenham Hotspur from 2000 to 2003, scoring one goal in 45 games. In 2003 to 2009, he moved to West Ham United, scoring 16 goals in 165 games. And then from 2009 to 2014, moved to Stoke City, scoring 13 goals in 152 games. Who is that player? It's a Spurs. What, what were the years of West Ham? Spurs 2000 to 2003, West Ham 2003 to 2009. Peter Brough first, though, ASD. Peterborough before that. That's the big clue. I mean, it's not. He scored, and after West Ham, he went to Stoke, and he scored that unreal goal at the old ground for Stoke against Spurs, where he ran. Matty Everington. Matty Everington. Huh. Matty Everington. Loves the bookies. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, right. Two more to go. This next player began, sorry, SD, began his career in 1998 <laughs> and between 98 and 2000 played for Fort Vale, where he scored four goals in 41 games. From 2000 to 2008, he joined Tottenham Hotspur, scoring two goals in 114 games. He also had loan spells at Everton and Hull in 2008, where he failed to play or score. Um, He left Tottenham in 2008 and moved to Hull City. He was there between 2008 and 2011, failing to score in 32 games. In 2011 to 2012, he moved to Crystal Palace, failing to score in 28 games. And then in 2012 to 2014, he moved to Sheffield Wednesday, again, failing to score in 42 games. He also has one national team cap. Can you name that player? If it's who I think it is, I think it's a bit unfair to say he failed to score. You might be along the right lines then. Yeah, I think so. So, ASD, here's my clue for this. This is what all well, I Is it Pedro Mendes then? No. Wouldn't start, didn't start in Port Vale. Um, 
that would have been the best career path ever. (laughs) But the thing I remember about this player is whenever he was like defending a corner, because yes, he is a defender, he used to pull his shorts up. So he'd always pull his short up one of his legs. So he'd like have a like a, a thigh showing. And it was obviously just like a tick of something that he did was he was about to kind of get ready to defend a corner. I mean, if that doesn't if that doesn't give it away, SD, yeah, nothing yeah. will, will it? Short Strong stuff. fires. <laughs> no, go on. Anthony, Anthony Gardner. Gardner. Uh, Anthony see, Gardner. yeah, no. We had high hopes for him, to be fair. At one yeah, point, I did actually think that he'd go on and, and be a pretty decent player. Um, I didn't realise he'd got an England cap, though. He must have nicked that. Like, that was pretty... I mean, he looked like he was an all-right player, but he was hardly... You know. Um, anyway, right. Last player I've got for you. I mean, ASD, if you don't get this one, then just pack up. Just pack it all up. Don't be don't don't be annoyed at the year this player career begins, okay? Because you will get it. You will get it. Um so he um started um his career. Columbus crew, nineteen ninety six to nineteen ninety seven, thirty eight appearances, zero goals, nineteen ninety seven to two thousand, Liverpool, twenty five appearances, zero goals. 2000 to 2008, Blackburn Rovers, 290 <laughs> appearances, one goal. 2008 to 2011, Aston Villa, 114 appearances, no goals. 2011 to 2015, Tottenham Hotspur, 50 appearances, no goals. 82 caps for his national team. Any ideas on that one? Case of Brad Friedman. <laughs> I was really hoping that the one goal was going to throw you. <laughs> I was really hoping no. it was going to throw you. Um, but I don't know. False Brad Friedel, the, the man, the legend, Brad Friedel. What a brilliant goalkeeper. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Did he only play 50 times for us? Yeah, it seemed like he'd racked up loads of games, didn't it? But obviously not. Unless, I mean, there's no way Wikipedia could be wrong, so it must be 50 games. That's weird. It feels like loads more. Because it felt like he was our keeper. And then we got Hugo and he was still our keeper for a bit. Mm. But yeah, but sometimes they can just do league appearances on um, on Wikipedia. Maybe there's a... Yeah. Cool. Um, any other business before we finish? I did have a celeb thing. Um, of course you did. You but we have sort of, I've sort of asked the question, so um, I'll, there are some rumours, ASD, that that you're going to ha- have to actually do a breakaway pod just for all of these celebrity emails. Yeah. Uh, so lots of questions. Uh, none from Prince Andrew this week. He's been a bit busy. We're all family love. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> family do love. That. I don't know. They just don't shut up. Um, this is from Christopher. Livingstone Eubank, uh, which is quite timely, obviously, with the um, Canelo becoming undisputed super middleweight champion of the world and Eubank being a middleweight and super middleweight WBO title holder. Um, one of the best British boxers of all time. Obviously, got beaten by probably the best British boxer of all time, Joe Kazagi, but we'll let him go. Welsh British boxer, by the way, uh, Joe Kazagi. And, Not as uh, good as Ben Davis, though, is he? <laughs> he's up there. <laughs> but he, um, 
he he says hello guys um excellent podcasting splendid uh he says look if pochettino became free would you swap in pochettino for conte right now if you had the option keep up the good work Um, well, firstly, it's great to hear from Chris, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would I? Oh, you know what? I wouldn't. I'd I'd keep Conte. Um, reason being that po- I absolutely love Pochettino. Like incredible what he did at Spurs, <laughs> and he'll 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 always go down as one of the best managers that I think we'll probably all ever see there. Like I genuinely think he's that good. Um, for me, it's sort of like all a bit in the past now, and it's like we've had that era, and it's like I'm all for like everything comes to an end at some point. It's like you've got to move forwards and like move in a different direction and all of that. So as much as I love Poch, I would, I'd keep Conte. What do you think, Chris? I think that the manager isn't the issue. I think, as we've said, it's like I'd like to see either of them. I think they're both excellent coaches and we definitely need coaching. We need coaching. We need fitness. We need direction. We need an identity, all of those things. And it was clear that Mourinho didn't know how to do that. And it was it seemed a bit much for Nuno. I think both Conte and Poch could deliver that. But at the moment, we've got Conte. So, like, I say no more changes, actually. So, maybe I will err on the side of saying let's keep Conte. But it's only an 18-month contract. So, maybe we'll see Poch at the end of that. I'm I'm sort of in, in the middle of both of your answers. Yeah, I think it'd be going back to your past. And I can't think of many managers returning where it was successful. And then, yeah, why change it? We've got a vision. We've got a plan. Let's go for that. Cool. Brilliant. Um, I love the, this new feature, by the way. Celebrity emails. It's amazing. Um, real. Well, uh, another big week ahead. There's so much excitement and positivity around Spurs now. It's great. And it's like, I, for one, like can't wait until we are sort of back playing again. International weekend. Um, but we're back the following week. Um, looking forward to that already. I mean, whatever happens between now and then, the future's bright. future's lily white. Come on, you Spurs. I always thought there was very, very many people interested in football, and I always thought that football was a very important game, but I never realized until today just how important it is. Whether the Wonder Boys of White Hart Lane are or are not the team of the century can't possibly be more than a matter of opinion. Well, they're the finest team in Great Britain, and one of the best in the world. We are about the glory of the game. We are about playing with style. We are Tottenham Hotspur. The curve of the ball, the billow of the net, the beating of the trap and the picking of the lock, the swiftness of thought, the lightness of touch. We are Ginola, Greaves, Klinsman. We are the collective gasp the intake of breath, the flick, the trick, the 30-yard free kick. We are Hoddle, Mabbott and King. We are the lob, the chip, the dummy and the volley. We are the hat trick, the scissor kick. We are Bill Nick. That is schoolboy's own stuff. 
We are the outside of the boot, the inside of the net, and those seconds that last forever. Van der Vaart to level it up. Raphael van der Vaart, 2-2! It's quite a game, isn't it always? We are Jennings, Defoe and Perryman. Glory past, glory future. What was, what is, what's next? We are Blanche Flower, Ardelis and Bale. We are about winning with a flourish. We are about winning with style. We are about the glory of the game. Daring to try, daring to risk, daring to dream. To dare is to do.